We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 59 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And the Mets right now are kind of just hanging around, not really making a play in the wild card or for the division and not completely falling out of it. Been an interesting week since the last time both of us have talked to you. Obviously, Francisco Lindor seemed to have his first real big Mets moment with the three home runs in a win over the Yankees that was filled with drama, and now the Mets are playing the Cardinals in a quite vital series. All right, Joe, let's bring you in, man. What's going on? How are you doing? And um, happy football being back as well. I feel like we talk about that more off the air, but we got to ride out this Mets season and hope for the best. Yeah, it's not over yet. Like you said, they've kind of tread water over the last week. Uh, obviously, the Subway Series was electric. Uh, I, I don't remember the last time a Subway series was that electric. It's been quite some time. Um, I went on Friday night, watched the Mets beat down the Yankees. That was really fun and went with a Yankee fan friend. So that made it even a little sweeter, but just a really, really great series just from an entertainment standpoint. And, you know, the Mets being able to take two out of three was really, really big, especially with the three home runs from Lindor on Sunday. But yeah, I mean, we're running out of time. Uh, 18, 17 games left now at this point. It's, you know, time to go. They, There's no more excuses about losing games. There's no more resting guys, in my opinion. Just for these 17 games, you just have to put it all out on the table. And if you make the playoffs, you make the playoffs. If you don't, you don't. But uh, at the very minimum, the Mets did give us a competitive September, which is, you know, not ultimately what we wanted. They were in first place for over two months and certainly thought a playoff spot was coming. But for the first season under new ownership, new infrastructure, which will become new again soon, uh, you know, all in all, they gave us a competitive season till the end. And I know that's not enough for some people, but, uh, you know, all in all, I'm, I'm OK with kind of the generalness of how the season went. Right. I think coming into it. I expected the Mets to be competitive. I expected the Mets to uh, be in a dogfight, specifically with Atlanta in this division. And quite frankly, I think this division was much weaker than anyone ever expected. And unfortunately, after coasting along the top the entire first half, it came crumbling down for the Mets. And, and this show is not going to be the, you know, the Mets season is over show because our tone can change in two weeks. They can get hot. Things can happen. Teams can collapse. We know that all too well as Mets fans. But right now it's, you know, it, the baseball has been entertaining. I'll say that. Like you said, the Subway Series was uh, phenomenal. When they were playing the Yankees in, in game three, with the Lindor game, 
for me, that was, I think, the most intense I have felt as a fan during a game in quite some time. Because whether it's, hey, win and stay around the playoffs or not, it's your crosstown rival. It's Francisco Lindor. There is a lot of muscle being flexed and a lot of mouths flapping on both sides. And you want your team to win. And and it's at City Field. And quietly, no one's talking about this. I guess no one cares. There was a time where people did care about this, and I still care about this. The Mets beat the Yankees this year. They won four out of the six games. And quite frankly, they don't do that a lot. I think they've done it like four times since uh, at least the last 15 years, I believe. So it was exciting. It does mean something, no matter what anyone tells you. I think there's a lot of pride on the line, and, and I liked how intense it was. So we'll get into the Subway Series more. We'll get into your questions, and we'll get into what this final stretch looks like as well. But episode 59, obviously not the prettiest number. One random, Guillermo Moda. Uh, there are a lot of randoms, or at least a good handful of randoms that have worn this number. One current, Carlos Carrasco, who... Oh, things have just not gone right for Carrasco this year. Obviously, the first inning has eaten him alive. I kind of wanted to use the uh, the number of the week to kick off a mini Carrasco conversation. I kind of want to just throw the question your way, Joe, because this is someone who is going to be on the Mets next year, and we don't know in what capacity, but I would think that he is going. there are going to be significant expectations for him. Do you think this year is just one of those years where everything has gone wrong for Carrasco? And you can count on him next year? Or do you have a fear that, you know, going into his age 35 season next year, there's a decline that's evident? Uh, So I don't see an evident decline. But of course, once you get into your mid 30s, that could happen on the drop of a dime. Uh, He he feels like a guy that would have very much benefited from an opener. I mean, his first inning, he can't get out of it. But then after the first inning, his ERA for the season, I believe, is below three. So any inning other than the first inning, he's been super effective. The first inning, he just gives up home runs. Uh, So I think an opener would have been beneficial for him. But I think all in all, it it was really just a weird year for him where he had the elbow inflammation or whatever in the spring. He came back from that. He tears the hamstring, misses a bunch of time, uh, comes back even later than expected. You know, there was times on this show that I even said, like, I'll believe Carlos Carrasco pitches this year when he does. And he obviously worked his way back, but he didn't get much rehab, too. They only gave him two or three rehab starts after missing more than half a season. So he really, for the first month there, was kind of having a a pseudo spring training while being in the middle of a pennant race on a major league team. So to me, it was kind of it was a weird year that doesn't mean that I have the expectation that, you know, next spring he's going to be the number two starter type of guy that we thought the Mets were acquiring when they got him along with Francisco Lindor from Cleveland. But yeah, he's going to be a part of the team. He's going to be a part of the rotation, whether that's a three, four guy or a four five guy, you know, something towards the back end. He's going to be a part of something here. And I think just kind of a weird year for him. And I think there there is some reason for optimism going forward. I'm with you on that. I'm not out on Carrasco. I don't think Carrasco was brought here, you know, especially on the contract he's on, which is it's nothing crazy, really, when they acquired him in that contract that, you know, he wasn't brought in as, hey, you're the you're the guy after DeGrom. Like that was never 
you know, necessarily the expectation. I think he's a nice middle of the rotation pitcher when he's on. Um, and obviously he's had more significant roles in his prime in Cleveland, but you know, you got to bring back Marcus Stroman and you got to, you know, kind of obviously add a lot of depth to this pitching staff and, and Carrasco has got to be a part of that. So I'm with you as well. I think he, it's just kind of one thing after the other that has gone wrong for him. And it's now it's this first inning thing, which is, it's almost a blessing because it's like, well, he has settled in, in a lot of the games and been fine. The stuff looks fine, but that first inning, something's just, it's, it's like, he's not settled. Um, He's just rusty. And, you know, hopefully that that's something that he can correct in the off season. So, all right, looking at the Mets these la- well this last week, obviously the Subway Series is what has been the highlight, an intense series, obviously a lot of uh, ill will towards each other, I would say. And quietly, you know, the Mets take, well, the Mets lose two or three to the Marlins, which is just the Marlins are always a thorn in their side, especially in September. And then they take two, two out of three from the Yankees. Really could have been a sweep. Of course, they kind of fell apart on the Saturday game, but the big fireworks were Sunday and you and I have been more optimistic on Lindor than most this season. Obviously like all fans, you have ones that are, you know, booing him and furious with him. You have ones that are, Hey, things will get right. And then you have people somewhere in the middle and Lindor really had his moment by backing up his smack talk quite frankly, and also sticking up for his team. What did you make of Sunday with the whistling story? I'm kind of surprised it's not bigger than it is because to me, I'm not saying it's it's real or not, but I Lindor doesn't strike me as a guy that would have been that angry after that second home run with the Yankees if it wasn't real. And the fact that, I mean, quite frankly, he completely put the team on his back in most of that game and and the Mets got the job done so as far as the whistling I don't know if it's true not true but I mean unless they're using technology like Houston did to get the signs and then whistle like Houston used trash cans like if they're just visually seeing signs and that's their way of communicating like that's not cheating like I know I I hate the pitches yeah yeah that's tipping pitches and that's gamesmanship like that's totally cool um if they are utilizing some form of technology then that's a you know obviously a different conversation that certainly you know if if they're doing something they shouldn't um i know mlb will find their way to look at it at some point in time Uh, but i like the fireman Uh, i think it's cool to bring back because for a while I used to always think, you know, Subway Series was a rivalry, maybe not quite on the same level as a Phillies or Braves, but it was a rivalry. And then the last few years, I've kind of felt like the Mets-Yankees rivalry is not real. It's not a thing anymore. It's something that the Post, the Daily News, all those papers just, they do to sell papers. They make headlines about the Subway Series, but now it's just, it might as well just be three games against any old team. But this year, it feels like the Subway Series is back in a big way. And, you know, Lindor, for all the smiles and the positivity and all the stuff that comes, he's a pretty fiery dude. When he when he's upset, uh, you clearly could tell. And, you, you know, having him and Javi and 
I, I don't know why they want to fight Giancarlo. I mean, of all people, but uh, I, I feel like that would be like one of the last people that I'd be. Javi will fight anyone. Ha- I think we know that. Yeah. Javi, Javi's like the kind of guy that I feel like would fight anyone. He, he And he'd fight dirty too. Like to me, Giancarlo's a weird one to call out, but it was cool to see that fire. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it was good to take two out of three. Like you said, it could have been a sweep if not for the bullpen implosion on Saturday. But Saturday's game, uh, Sunday's game was unreal. And Lindor hitting the three home runs, the third home run, just, yeah, it was it was fantastic. It really was. It was exciting. It, it really had more of what, kind of had what baseball needs in a way, right? And I'm not saying there needs to be the whole everybody – you know, the, the bench is clear or the dugouts, the bullpen's empty out. I'm not saying you need all that all the time, but fiery competition and, you know, uh, just honestly, the trash talking was great. And you know what? If you're Francisco Lindor and, and kudos to, I did see plenty of Yankee fans, not all and not all in the media, but some say, you know what? I mean, he backed it up. Like he called them out after the second home run and then... They clapped back at him, and then when the game was on the line in the most pivotal moment, he hit a missile, an absolute missile that the camera didn't even catch. And it's a shame that Gary wasn't on uh, the call for that three-home run game. And and I just thought everything about it was great. The fans dancing on the dugout with the Puerto Rican flag, Lindor flexing. Um, obviously, they showed the the field-level shot of it, too, the video that has the gnat sound, no commentary, and you could see the dugout just explode. It was really cool, and I think that, and maybe I'm too optimistic here, or I'm just looking, you know, for a bright spot. But I feel like Lindor is going to settle in real nicely here, quite frankly. And the glove has been there all year. Um, there's been some pop, but I think that next year he's just going to be more comfortable. And you know, and A Rod did a good job on the broadcast talking about how it can be tough going to a new place. That's a big market. And a lot of guys traditionally aren't themselves right away, but they do settle in. And I just think that Lindor is going to be like that. I think that, you know, he'll come into spring next year and this is going to be a big Mets off season. And we know that, and maybe all of the microphones and cameras won't be on him for once to be this superhero. And he gets paid to be a big time player. And I think he's going to be a big time player, but baseball's a team game. And a lot of parts of the Mets season have gone wrong that have nothing to do with Francisco Lindor. And when things go wrong for him, that's where all of the attention goes. But the reality of the situation is they've dealt with a million injuries. They lost their best player, maybe the best player on the planet in Jacob DeGrom. James McCann has not been a good signing. And Michael Conforto, Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, and J.D. Davis have been terrible for the most part. If we're being honest, they've been bad. When four, all four of them, or at least two out of the four, you expect to be big-time players, massive players, and they haven't done that. And quite frankly, I, I think two of the four won't be here next year because of that. So I think it was awesome for Lindor to hear those cheers, uh, have that moment, and, and get the good attention, and hopefully sparks a lot of good going forward. Not the next two weeks, but you know, the next couple of years. Heck, the next nine years, right? Like, we got them yeah. for a while. So, no, it, it was good to hear those cheers. And I think I'm hopeful that after all the thumbs down nonsense, I think I'm, I'm hopeful now that he quickly realized, like, 
this is how New York is going to be, man. Uh, if you know, you and I could disagree uh, with people who want to boo, but it's been around way longer than we have, and it's going to be around probably way longer after we are. So uh, it's part of the deal in New York baseball. So if you don't perform, you you should expect that you're going to hear it. But if you perform in New York, there ain't nothing like it. Like like you said, that field level view where you just had the crowd and everything just erupt. There's there's nothing, and I and I feel like it's even more so in Queens than the Bronx because you know the Yankees have an expectation of winning, and most of the time they're winning a division or playing in the wild. They're in the playoffs almost every year. The Mets being good is a gift because how often do we see it? Once every few years, they have a good year, maybe two, and then they go in the dumpster for a couple, you know, another few years, and then they come back. Uh, so I think he saw the highs and lows of New York in the last two weeks. And, you know, the, unfor- the unfortunate reality is when you sign for $341 million in New York City, given the team's history and spending, too, I mean, He's making more than the two biggest contracts that the Mets had ever issued prior by himself. So there's going to be additional pressure. And do I think it impacted him this year? I think it'd be hard to say that it didn't at all. But I think now he got through kind of a bump in the road and it feels like he's coming out the other side. He's been very good of late. So it's not just it's not like he hit three home runs on Sunday, but hasn't hit around that he's been he's been hitting for the last three weeks or so so i'm i'm very optimistic that 2022 we're gonna see the francisco lindor that we expected the mets to get which outside of jacob Degrom's health and the mets obviously winning games is probably the most important thing right to build on next year because we know he's gonna be here he's the safest guy on the team so to end on a high note for Lindor and to go into next year with him being, you know, living up to the superstar hype, it's huge for your momentum going into next year. And that really can matter so much. You don't want to read every single offseason storyline starting with, you know, is Francisco Lindor going to bounce back? It's like, well, we don't need to have that conversation because the final six weeks of the season, we saw the real Francisco Lindor. And before he went on the IL, we he was playing really, really well. So... And I, I like what you said, and I know we're biased because obviously this is a Mets podcast, but and, and Yankee fans are absolutely passionate, but there is something special about the Mets fan base. I was in Queens Friday night. I was not at the game. I was at a concert to see My Morning Jacket, and on the way to Queens, you could just feel it with the Mets fans. It's I don't know what it is. I think they're just so excited because this is such a a different time. You're going to the ballpark. You obviously have a starter root for in Lindor, a starter root for uh, and a lot of different players, quite frankly, and we'll see which faces are here next year. And, and the fact that the Mets are, it's September, and the Mets are, you know, say what you want to say, but the Mets are mathematically playing for the playoffs. And, and I think there's something special to that. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. 
No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With that, I'll kick off our mailbag with a question that has to do with exactly um, the Queens, the Mets, and City Field. This is from Elliot77770 on iTunes, who said, if, if each of you could change something about City Field, what would it be outside of redoing the surrounding area, the auto shops, as that's too obvious? It's a great question. Thanks for the review on iTunes, Elliot. Really appreciate that. Man, you know, because we always spend time thinking of what would it be like if City Field had a surrounding area to go out in, to eat in. And it's pretty jarring that it doesn't because it's wild how, like, other ballparks, you know, when I was in Seattle, it was really fun around the ballpark. And, and obviously in the Bronx, there's things to do. And pretty uh, most ballparks, there's a lot to do. And City Field, there's not. But keeping this one within the walls of City Field, Joe, is there anything that stands out to you that – it's missing or is there something there that you just don't like what would you do here so for me i understand why it's there but i i don't fully i'm not fully behind the jackie robinson rotunda like i appreciate why it's there jackie robinson's obviously a new york legend uh, a baseball legend and but he wasn't a new york met so um to me it it's a little bit of an odd fit. Like, I know that might be a little controversial to say, but, you know. No, your reasoning. Yeah, yeah. I kind of Before the internet cancels you is right. uh, is actually uh, actually right. Right. I, I just wish it was a Mets base. It doesn't even need to be based around the player. Like, it doesn't need to be the Tom Seaver rotunda or the Mike Piazza rotunda or whatever. Just, oh, but overall, what I will say is, you know, and, and some credit goes to Will Ponds for this is they've, made it a Mets ballpark over the years. When it first, when it City Field in 09, you could have put any team in there and it's it like wouldn't have It's like the create a ballpark yeah, uh, yeah, blueprint a, you start with an MLB exactly. show. Yeah, just generic whatever. And over the years, it's become more of a Mets place. And uh, to me, the biggest compliment of City Field, uh, the Yankee fan friend that I went to the game with on Friday, never been to City Field before. And he gave it rave reviews. He said, now this is a ballpark. He said, you see the Mets mm. stuff around. He goes, you feel like you're in a ballpark. Like he even criticized Yankee Stadium in a sense. He was just like, you know, Yankee Stadium is really nice, but he goes, it's not a feel like City Field clearly has. So I think City Field's one of the better ballparks in baseball. I don't think there's a ton in, you know, obviously, sure, if you could put more Mets stuff up, that never hurts, find different places for it. 
But to me, City Field's an excellent ballpark. And once they fix the outside, hopefully sooner than later, get some bars, get some restaurants, get some stuff to do. Like, all I want to do, you know, I'm driving from Connecticut. I, I think I've said this before because we've talked about, you know, City Field and upgrading it and things like that in the past. Like, I would love to be like, I'm going to a seven o'clock game, but I'm going to spend the day at City Field and around City Field and go to bars, hit get lunch somewhere and show up real early and, you know, just hang out. Uh, so hopefully those days are coming. But inside the ballpark, you know, they have a lot of food selections. They have you know, different beers, you know, it's not like you can only drink Miller Lite or Bud Light or Coors Light or whatever. Like you have selections there. Uh, they have, you know, the Jim Beam bars where you can get, you know, different liquor drinks. And yeah, I think all in all, City Field's pretty awesome. It's a tremendous ballpark. And this is a hard question for me to answer because quite frankly, I don't have a lot of problems with City Field. I actually think City Field's amazing. And you know, looking at it, I know we can't answer the surrounding area, but I'll say this anyway. One thing that, you know, you come from Connecticut, I come from New Jersey, and it's not that it takes a while for me to get to City Field. I mean, I'm in Hoboken. I, I literally can take the ferry and then the seven and just, and get to the ballpark. But honestly, there's part of me that feels, and this probably would be even more helpful than other fans than, than me, especially ones coming from far away. It feels like it would just be amazing if they could do something with that surrounding area to have not just bars and restaurants for pregame, but even like really nice hotels where you can go to a game at night, you know, crash the night. And then if there's a 12 o'clock the next day, I think that would really incentivize people to go to day games, knowing that they can stay in the area and do back to backs. And, you know, looking at the ballpark itself, I think they've made so many good changes over the years. It's almost like they've mastered answering this question to themselves each year because like you said when it opened it when it opened up in 09 like remember the wall everything was like green and yeah. black yeah yeah it was Awful. so generic the walls were way too far out i actually still think it can be a smaller ballpark because of that wind tunnel that is just killing home runs but that's i don't know if that's the number one thing i would change maybe i think the color scheme of the ballpark is great I think the layout is pretty good. I think the one problem with everything in the back like that, it when it's busy, and this year the ballpark has been busy. It's not like you're, you know, this ain't your father's Mets where it's you go to the game and it's like, cool, there's 5,000 people here. I can go do whatever the heck I want. Like, the ballpark's been busy. So I think it's kind of a cluster, that area in the back, as much as there's a lot of good food places there, a lot of good drink places there. Um, I was at a game this year. And my girlfriend's uh, niece and nephew were with us. And, like, just to take them to the the back where you can – the kids can hit off the tee and run the bases, like that little field in the back. I'm like, God, if I was a kid going to the ballpark, this is, like, the coolest thing in the world. I get why everybody stands online to do this. Um, so I think that's really amazing. You nailed it that the beer selection has gotten really, really, really well done over the years. Uh, you, there's a good selection there. It's it is a really good ballpark. And honestly, I've sat almost everywhere in that ballpark. I don't think I've ever had a bad seat in in the entire ballpark. There's not like a ton of obstructed views. Um, Everything feels close to the field, which I know is a big thing when they built it. This is a hard question for me to answer. There's no I, I might go with you with the rotunda that like love Jackie Robinson, everything he did for the game and 
think there's no problem honoring Jackie Robinson with a New York baseball team, but it's almost like they, and I hate to say this, but you wonder, would things have been different if Tom Seaver had already passed, right? It's almost like, this is insane to say to me, but it almost feels like the Mets didn't have a a player that was iconic enough to them that had passed away that they felt comfortable doing that, right? Where, let's be real, in Mets history, I mean, Tom Seaver is an icon, like a legend. And I don't know, maybe there was something different they could have done where it's it's still Jackie Robinson, of course, or you just keep the Jackie Robinson rotunda, but you do find a way to make it, to expand more on Mets history with the 86 team, um, obviously with Seaver as well. And, you know, we're not getting any younger. There's there's going to be a lot more people honored over time. So right. I, I might agree with yeah. you that it does feel like it might be lacking Mets history a little bit the most. A, a couple other things that I thought of while you were talking, and you mentioned Tom Seaver. Obviously, the Tom Seaver statue is going up next year. So that's technically, you know, outside of the outside of City Field, but it's not like, you know, putting up a hotel or putting up a bar. I'd like to see more statues. Like when I went to Pittsburgh, they had statues for their great players and great moments. And, you know, the Mets, like you said, they don't have like a storied history of legendary players. But I feel like the Mets have a lot of fantastic moments that can be honored in a statue. Mm, yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, Mike Piazza's 9-11 home run. Per, like perfect opportunity to make a statue out of that. You know, I know it ended up being a loss, but I wouldn't be upset if there was a statue of Andy Chavez robbing the home run in game six in 2006. Obviously, you have, you know, Jesse Orozco and Tug McGraw. Like, you have plenty of guys. You Santana. Could do. Santana. Like, there's plenty of things you could do statues with. I'm a statue guy, so I would like that. Um, what do you think about, I've seen people talk about it on Twitter in the past few months. What do you think about the color of the seats? How Shea had the different color for each level while city is just, you know, the same green seats at every level. Would you want to see something more similar to how Shea was where they had, you know, obviously there was one more level at um, Shea than there is at city field. So you couldn't do the exact same thing, but they had, you know, orange for field, blue for loge, green for mezzanine and red for upper deck. And I know I, I saw someone talking about it the other day on Twitter where they were like, I sat in the upper deck all my life, and I took pride that I sat in the red seats. Mm. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, honestly. so I, I wonder if they might, if they would consider something like that, making the seats, you know, may, maybe copying Shea Stadium, maybe not, but, uh, you know, something to that effect where you make it based on each level is a different color. I completely am all for that. And... You know, obviously it's really expensive to change seats, but they ballparks traditionally, you know, still do it. They keep up with it. Not every year, but every, I don't know how long. I actually don't know if City Field ever has uh, renovated the seats. The only reason I even knew this was because way back in the day, we had Jets season tickets, and I remember not MetLife when the Meadowlands changed their seats, and I, my, my parents were like, hey, they changed the seats like after they got home from a game, and I was like, wow, that's great. Uh, so this is something that does happen in ballparks. They don't put the seats in when they build it, and then they stay there till they tear it down. Now, I completely agree. I don't really understand the decision behind this. Like, I don't think the green looks bad, right? And maybe the the only thing I could think of is they wanted the seats to kind of blend in and have right. the fans and the 
everything else about the ballpark stand out, which is fine. But just looking at this, the blue and orange, and the red, I could take it or leave it, uh, but the blue and orange would give it serious, serious life. And... I, I like looking at the aerial shots. Yeah, I, I I would go that way. And and Steve Cohen, I know he's probably tired of every time like any Mets fan wants something. We just assume that he literally is God and has unlimited money. But honestly, out of any human being on planet Earth, he's one of the closest. So I think we should have new seats. I'm with that. He can afford it if if he wants them make new seats and make them whatever color to match Shea, he can do it. But yeah, so after initial, like I feel like those are probably my three things is make the, you could name, you could call it the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. You could keep that nice big 42. You can keep the Jackie Robinson quotes on the wall, whatever. But I'd like to see- Oh yeah, don't take I, any of it yeah, away. But yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to see maybe a little more Mets incorporated there. Um, then go with some more statues because I'm a sucker for them and then potentially seat color change. No complaints there. Wow, that's that's a question you could see how long you can really go on it. I mean, it's I'm curious. I'm curious what people think about that. Like what they if there's anything we're missing cuz you and I are like we've talked about this a lot on the show. We are pretty simple ballpark goers. We are I'm going to get a beer, you always get a hot dog. Uh, I'll probably just get a burger and then we're going to enjoy the game. Not too much, you know, theatrics in between that, especially when you've been to the ballpark plenty of times that, you know, I think what we're talking about makes it more of a destination trip, right? Like if you're a Mets fan, and I think it's, you know, something I didn't know is how many Mets fans are not in New York since we started this show because we hear from people outside of New York, like Mets fans in California or, or Mets fans in Europe. There are literally Mets fans in Europe. Like, you can make that part of a trip where you're like, wow, like this is a going to City Field is more than the game for me. So, all right, we have another iTunes question. So thank you for these reviews. This is from Pete 61715. Pete says, with the talk of the lack of leadership in the clubhouse, do you think the return of Robinson Cano would establish some form of leadership and help Lindor with playing in New York? So uh, you know, people might laugh at that, but like yeah. the reality is, Robinson Cano is on the payroll. I think for the next two years, yay, yes, twenty two and twenty three for a lot of money. I don't really buy Robinson Cano as some great leader, and that's not like an insult. Like I don't think he's the opposite either. I think he's just kind of a guy. He's probably fine for the young players, but. I don't know. This is kind of like a move out of the way. Year two, Lindor's the dude. Obviously, Pete's a dude. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know if Cano's going to have anything left in the tank. You know, maybe you could DH him and use him as a bench bat. But in terms of intangibles, I don't know. I just don't think he's going to be good enough anymore that people really care what he has to say. Is that harsh? Uh, I no. I mean, I don't really know too. Like a guy that's borderline getting kicked out of baseball for cheating, you know, one more time and he's gone. Uh, is that really a a leader? Like he could have the Mets could have used Robinson Cano this year. Let's call it what it is, right? You're right. They could have used him with the way this offense performed, and he let them down by taking steroids again and. 
to me, that's the opposite of a leader. You know, that's not to say that, you know, if he were to come back and be on this roster that, you know, a young player like a Mark Vientos can't spend time with him and learn some things from him. Like, you know, obviously that can occur. But like you said, this is a, you know, if you come back, you could be a part of the team. That's fine and dandy. You could DH, whatever. But this is Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Jacob DeGrom. It's their team. So you would just be a member of it. You wouldn't be, you know, a special leader of any kind. But of course, he has veteran experience that he could uh, pass on to some of the younger guys if they so want it. But yeah, Cano certainly wouldn't be someone that I'd be like, wow, the leadership of this room really improved because Robinson Cano is back. Right. I don't really. Yeah, he doesn't move the needle. I I think it's a totally fair question, but I just think we're past that. Right. I mean, the guy is my goodness. In October, he's turning 39 years old. We there's a chance we have a 40 year old Robinson Cano on the Mets. I don't think we will. I think they'll just be like, all right, you're not worth a roster spot. Goodbye. But we might have a 39-year-old Cano on the Mets. And I hope he proves us wrong, but I'm going to be honest with you. I expect literally nothing from Robinson Cano next year. And quite frankly, real talk, I hope the Mets are good enough next year that they don't need to have Robinson Cano on the roster. That's just how I feel. I, I, you know, like, Are you going to keep a, a guy that plays second base on the bench and doesn't play it well. He's not like a defensive replacement, right? Like, what if they keep, what if they resign Javi Baez? Are you keeping Robinson Cano on the bench to be a defensive replacement for, for Javi Baez, who at that point might be the best glove at second in the game? Like, I don't no, no it's chance. Just, I don't know. No, no chance. It's a waste of everyone's time. So we'll see where that one goes. Um, I like I said, please prove us wrong, Cano, and and save your. What is left of your baseball reputation? All right, from Steve Miller, who says, between Sapucky, Peterson, and McGill, who has the highest upside as a starting pitcher? My initial thought is Peterson, but maybe McGill, just over one month older, and Sapucky, just under one year younger, could be close. What do you think, Joe? You've been yeah. you know, evaluating these guys longer than anyone, pretty much. The way, I mean, I've just been so impressed by Tyler McGill. He's so much exceeded what I thought he was going to be that I think I'm going to have to look in the mirror and see what did I miss with McGill because it's clear. He's, what did everyone miss? Yeah, what did like everyone option miss? Option 31 yeah. for the yeah. Mets this year. It's, it's clear as day that Tyler McGill has the chance to be a mid-rotation starter. His outing against the Yankees on Friday night was incredible. 10 strikeouts, gets through seven innings. Um, then you go Peterson, and then to me it's a it's quite a gap, and then Zapucky. I do not think Zapucky really has really any upside as a starter anymore. I think if you want to get something out of him, you shift him to the pen and hope for the best. Um, he's been injured left and right. He struggled in AAA this year. Uh, yeah, to me, Zapucky's a guy that he should be shifted into a relief role this offseason and in spring next year compete as you know maybe that multi-inning type reliever that's you know come coming from the left side hit 95 hit 96 but for yeah for me it's tyler mcgill david pearson gap thomas sapucky where would you rank mcgill on the list of Mets surprises this year huh i, I might be at the might yeah might be at the top to be honest with you right uh, I think he is, at least for a positive surprise. <laughs> There's quite a few negative surprises from this team. But to me, the two 
biggest positive surprises in uh, maybe three at this point that I'm trying to think off the top of my head would be Taiwan Walker's performance for the most part. You know, he's he hit a bit of a wall, but he's still been okay in the second half, just not an all-star. Like, I certainly didn't think Taiwan Walker was making an all-star team when the Mets signed him. Uh, Brandon Nimmo's defense in center field is up there as well. Uh, we were talking all offseason that he was basically unplayable there. He's actually been above average. So uh, credit to him and credit to the staff for positioning him right. But yeah, Tyler McGill is a guy that I, when I assessed and talked about him on Met, we interviewed him, Jacob Resnick and I, for Met's Perspective on SNY, which uh, we only have two episodes left. So Thursday is the next to last. And then uh, we have one more after that. But when we interviewed him, I even sent him my scout report and SNY made a nice graphic of it and everything that's like, I think his floor is a multi-inning reliever. So that's, you know, a floor, but he's looking like he could be a mid-rotation starter. So fan- fantastic surprise of what Tyler McGill gave us this year. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think between him, he's a bigger surprise because I had no idea who he was before the yeah. season. But yeah. like Familia, uh, man, that's, you know, I'm going to be honest, it's, those are the two that are really, really at the top. There's no doubt about that. And yeah, Nimmo's defense is and maybe VR. I don't know. I was a big VR fan, so I was like not expecting this at okay. all. That would be ridiculous to say. But I knew VR has more in him than he gets the perception of him does. I to me right now, he's close to being a must resign, which I it's crazy that we're saying that, right? I, I just don't think you're gonna be able to resign him. I think after this year I don't think so either. He's gonna get a multi year deal for some pretty you know, not huge money, but some pretty good money to be an everyday player. And I don't I mean, is is there a spot for the Mets to offer him everyday at bats at this point in time on a multi year deal? I don't know if there is. Well, I think that's the problem right there. It's not, you know, because people are going to listen to the show and they're going to hear us say the phrase, we don't think they can re-sign him. The Mets can re-sign who they want. Yeah. The reality is, you know, like you said, VR is going to be signed to start somewhere every day. And for the Mets, yes, he has started a lot, but he is a super utility guy. Yeah. In it's a, like the way he plays third, but can play short and second. And the way he can come and pinch run off the bench, the pop off the bench as a pinch hitter, the ability to make things happen as a leadoff guy. Like, you know, it's interesting. Okay, so let me present it like this. We don't, at least I think both of us, don't expect J.D. Davis to be a Met next year. And maybe we're wrong. We definitely don't expect J.D. Davis to be written in ink as the third baseman for next year or anything like that. It, do you go out and get a third baseman, or do you say we like VR? He's our everyday third baseman, right? Like, what do you, how do you handle that? That's a really good question. I think it kind of depends what's out there on the market that they want, because I I do sincerely believe that they want something short term for third base. Uh, I Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, one of them. I mean, they're both going to be starting. My expectation is they will both start the 2022 season in AAA, which makes them a call away. You know, they're not in single A that you have to look down the line for. So I do think they have intentions of those guys making an impact next year. So I think they, they want to do something short term at third base. I know everyone's going to want Chris Bryant and or whatever, Marcus Simeon, someone like that that's out there. 
they may want those guys. And, you know, maybe the Mets say, screw it. We're, we're going for it and we'll figure out the prospect stuff after the fact. But I, I do think they want to keep an eye on short term at third with Beatty and Vientos coming. And maybe that means, like you said, hey, VR, we want to give you a two or three year deal. Uh, just so you know, there may not be every day at bats for you after the first year, but we want to commit to you and we'll pay you pay you like a starter. I mean, the Dodgers have done that and other good teams have done that is pay your top backup similar to like a starting type of player and, you know, work work them in as, as you do because there's always going to be injuries. There's always going to be a need for days off. There's always going to be, you know, underperformance. So I'd give it a shot to try to sign him. Uh, it just depends what his what his goals are, because we don't know. Some people, you know, want to turn into a starting job where they play every day. And some people are content. They just, you know, maybe he loves New York and wants to come back. We, I, I can't I, I can't get in his head, but, uh, you know, very long winded way of saying he could be a stopgap option. Yes. Hmm. All right. The next one from Johnny who says this is purely hypothetical, but in the scenario where the Mets move on from Rojas, do you guys have anyone in mind that you'd like to see manage the Mets next year? Is Beltron completely off the table? I mean, my answer to the question is I would like to see Beltron if they move on from Rojas. Is he off the table? I don't know how anyone can make the argument that he, that he's off the table when everybody involved there has gotten second chances and Beltron it's not like Beltron. I don't know. I, I, I think it's kind of a little ridiculous what's happened to Beltron. So I understand why the Mets did what they did at the time. But for me, if they move on from Rojas, uh, Carlos Beltron would probably be my first call. What about you? I mean, I, I'm I'm much more up on the GM candidates than I am the uh, manager candidates. Uh, Beltron, sure, if you want to give him a call. But a lot of complaints about Rojas is that People think he's inexperienced and and things like that. And he's very experienced. Carlos Beltran would be the definition of inexperience, never managing ever. So it would be a bit of a risky move. Uh, I wonder if it would be something where the new president of baseball operations likes somebody from whatever organization he comes from. And maybe it's a bench coach there or, or something to that effect. But I'm very interested to see who would be the manager? Because my expectation, you know, I know that Johnny said it's a hypothetical and, you know, I understand that. But if the Mets don't make the playoffs, I'd be I would be surprised if Luis Rojas returned. Um, that's just my opinion. And, you know, Beltron could be an option, but I think it would be up to whoever they hire to run baseball operations. Who's the guy that you want? You know, do they hire someone you know, from the Dodgers or they hire someone from I'm just thinking of like the best teams. I'm like, I just want to steal people from the best teams. And I feel like that's a good way of doing business. Yeah. I mean, that's usually how pro sports works in terms of passing the baton of success. And, and also a lot of times there are people in buildings that the fans never get to hear about that are making some of the most important decisions that are not the GM or the coach. And those people are the hires that become the next greats, right? I mean, that's essentially how pro sports franchises work, and, and hopefully the Mets are in line uh, to follow that exact strategy that you said, quite frankly, because that would be the difference maker more than a manager, honestly. Like, I, I'm kind of the whole, you know, has Rojas had a bad month? Yeah, he has. And do managers do sometimes make decisions that matter, like not walking 
Brian De La Cruz or Giancarlo Stanton or those awful decisions like that. Yeah, they do. But more often than not, it's not that much of a difference, quite frankly. And I'll die on that hill. But to answer it, it would be Beltron for me. All right. The last question of today's show is from Galley. Is it worth it to rush DeGrom and Syndergaard back or just let them take it easy and get ready for 2022? So this is a really interesting one from Galley because I think DeGrom is a two-parter. I think DeGrom is, don't rush him back, but if the Mets get to the last, you know, series and he can pitch and they're, you know, it's on the line to make the playoffs, or even if DeGrom is not ready the regular season, but the Mets somehow miraculously snuck in the playoffs— and DeGrom's good to go for game one, you pitch DeGrom. You are in it to win it. You are here to make the playoffs and win championships. You're not here just to, you know, just to be here. But if the Mets don't, or, or it's just, like, say a, we're recording a week from today and the Mets won one game in the next six, seven days, then no, there's no re- reason to do that. Syndergaard, I'm going to be honest, and I know he wants to pitch, I see almost no value in Syndergaard pitching. And what I mean by that is, if it's true that he can't throw his breaking ball, um, I mean, I have no idea what the point is then. He's not going to be ramping up in time to be a starter, so he's going to be a reliever. I know the bullpen hasn't been great, but how effective of a reliever is he going to be in this situation? Is it even worth it? I don't know. I, I just, I'm not saying it's a disaster if he comes back and pitch, but I see almost no upside to it. Am I crazy here, Joe? No, you're not crazy. I, But I actually think that I would like to see both of them pitch. Um, to me, the way I look at it is, you know, of course they have to be fully ready to go. I'm not, you know, as, as Galley said, uh, we don't want to rush them. If they're not fully ready to go, you don't pitch them. But if they're fully ready to go, I want to get them out on a mound. I don't care if the Mets are competing, not competing to me. I think it's a it's about a 2022 confidence thing with them. And, you know, DeGrom has gone through it this year. He's had a whole bunch of things happen. And if you're able to get him on the mound, even if it's for a two-inning appearance or a three-inning appearance, or, you know, something short, he doesn't need to go out and throw a seven-inning shutout. But I think it would be good for both of their confidence that they got out on the mound this year because – I envision both of them being a part of the 2022 Mets. Like, I think Syndergaard's the perfect candidate for a qualifying offer. He takes it, comes back for a year, um, and kind of tries to rebuild his value. And then, of course, DeGrom's DeGrom. So if I'm able to get them out on the mound and not put them in a position where they're going to get hurt doing so, then I think it makes all the sense in the world to just do it from a a confidence thing, you know, self-assurance and you know, I'm sure the organization doesn't want to go in being like, well, we didn't see Noah. We didn't see Jake. We don't know exactly what they are in 2022. So I think it would be good just from that standpoint. Uh, obviously, from a you know competitive standpoint, I don't think it makes a difference. Uh, they're either going to make it or not. And that's going to be decided well before um, those guys are ready to come back. But if I could get an appearance or two out of them, I think that that could be a positive. Yeah, that makes complete sense. You'd like to see them. Uh, you'd like to see them perform well and give you a little confidence sure. going into the winter, you know. But at the same time, it's yeah, it's you're absolutely right. There is no way to rush them back. That that's a good point of the question you that you highlighted. That you're not you cannot rush them. There is no benefit of doing that to either side. So 
We'll see. I mean, we'll see where it goes. I My take, I think we're going to see Syndergaard. I don't think we're going to see DeGrom. That's I my agree. take. Because I, I think we're just going to run out of time uh, to get DeGrom to where he needs to be, to be Jacob DeGrom, the number one pitcher for the Mets, the guy that he's not coming out and throwing an inning, right? Like, it, there's a difference. You need him to ramp up to a certain point. I, I don't think we have the clocks not on our side. Syndergaard, very different. It's it's not like he got shut down a second time with arm issues again. He, he got COVID. So, you know, it's it's a situation that he probably for himself in this long, long rehab would love to get back out there, even if it's an inning or two here and there. So, all right. That is episode 59 a good amount to go through. The mailbag was as full as ever in Joe's mentions, which is exciting to see. A reminder, iTunes questions get priority, so we greatly appreciate those. Joe, closing thoughts here, episode 59. And with the iTunes, you know, we're curious what everyone thinks about what changes they like to see the city field. So throw in your your suggestions yeah. in an iTunes review. And, you know, we'll read some of them off on the show, even though it's not a question, it's fine. You know, we'll read off your iTunes review and yeah, throw it there. Um, like I mentioned last week, and I'll continue to mention, uh, subscribe to that So Mets YouTube channel, despite us not really doing much with it. That is going to be the spot for the offseason when the Mets make a signing, uh, when they hire a new president of baseball operations, if they hire a new manager. When, no, news, yep. when those things happen, Connor and I are hopping on the YouTube channel. Um, we're not going to be doing the same emergency pods that we did last time but we will continue to give you every Tuesday on your podcast feed. Uh, so subscribe to those things. Leave us reviews. Um, we're we're going to do live stuff in the offseason. We have we have big plans for the YouTube channel uh, this offseason. So make sure you check that out. And, you know, the next time we speak on this podcast, I think we'll have a clear picture if the Mets are done or if they have a shot. Because by the time, you know, the, C- uh, the St. Louis series ends and, you know, we get through the weekend, We'll see, you know, really where they stand and if and if there's a shot. But the reality is they just need to be they need to be two games better than Atlanta over the next 15. If they could gain two games on Atlanta in the next 15, then the last series is for the division. They'd be three out and they'd have to sweep, but they'd at least be playing for it. And if you get three games better, then it's two and and so on. But it'd be a. It'd be really nice if that last series could mean something and it wouldn't just be, oh, the season's over. It'd be great if the Mets lost so we have a better draft pick. <laughs> um, so it'd be cool if that series could mean something, but they still have a chance. I know that whenever I mention that on Twitter, I get a lot of sarcastic responses and I get it, but they're mathematically still alive. And it's as simple as gain two games on Atlanta in the next 15. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, by the way, because we sit here and we talk about, you know, this week, that week. That's really the math. There's no, you know, if the Mets lose tonight, they're done. You can't. It's, we're not in. We're not even close to that stage yet. But you gotta, you gotta really just stay in it until you get Atlanta, you know, in your in your kingdom, or I, I believe they actually go to Atlanta. Yay! Um, I'll have to fact check that. But that's what it comes down to. You want to at least give yourself a shot. As always in baseball, you want to control your destiny. And the Mets are in this position where that's what matters most. You don't have to, you know, you'd love to. You don't have to win 11 out of 12 and get back into first. You'd love to. 
but you you have a perfect opportunity that you close out the season with three against the Braves. Can you get close enough to them that that series matters? That's the most important thing. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.